0: Today's scripture reading is John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So
1: seeing is believing. I'm sure that's a phrase we've all heard before, seeing is believing. And for the most part, it's fairly reliable, Uh, although there are competing uh, narratives out there, uh, such as believe half of what you see and none of what you hear. (laughs) Counter narratives like these beg the question of just how much can we trust uh, what our eyes see? We live in an advanced uh, age of technology where we have to be quite discerning of what we see right now. Right now, you can go onto YouTube and you can find countless examples of what many are calling deep fakes, videos that appear to be real-life accounts of someone speaking, but in reality, they're the actions of another, manipulating their, their facial, uh, you know, facial structure and voice patterns and those sorts of things. Our news today is, is tainted and slanted and full of propaganda, Our social media platforms are breeding grounds for misinformation. In a sense, doubt and skepticism are a very real and present reality for us. The skepticism that we have regarding the information all around us has been turned in the direction of Christ. This is nothing new. Skeptics have been around. They've always been around. They've, They've always had ways of explaining away the resurrection of Christ. Truly in this regard, there's nothing new under the sun, and while this isn't new, the experience of doubt is very real and present for those that are experiencing it. We arrive at, at doubt and skepticism in a number of ways. Uh, for some of us, it's mis- misinformation. We all likely know of someone that has read something, talked to someone, watched a video, watched a documentary, something that has led them to trouble Uh, to to question the truth regarding Christ. and Some people are led away by false narratives uh, regarding our Lord and Savior. For some, it's, it's prosperity. Prosperity breeds doubt. For some, it's suffering and difficulty that lead to doubt. However we arrive at doubt, we should see ourselves in Thomas this morning. Perhaps you haven't struggled with doubt. Perhaps you've never questioned whether Jesus really rose from the dead. And I would say even for you, there's hope and encouragement from Christ this morning. And so here we find Thomas, as many has referred to him uh, as as doubting Thomas. This morning, as we walk through through this account of Jesus and Thomas, we have three points. I think there's three uh, themes you can find in this passage. And those themes are sin, salvation, and sufficiency. Sin salvation, and sufficiency. Our first theme will be the sin of Thomas. But before we jump into the sin of, of Thomas, I wanted to give a little bit of background on, on who Thomas is. He certainly was a quiet uh, disciple. There are only three accounts of Thomas speaking uh, in the Bible. They're all found in John. The first is John eleven sixteen, And there we find Thomas commenting uh, responding to Jesus after he's decided to go to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. Thomas says to the disciples in John eleven sixteen, 16, let us go also that we may die with him. On one hand, you, you find Thomas as a pessimist. Uh, he, he saw the glass half empty. He, in his mind, he saw if we keep this up with Jesus, we're going to die. there's no way out of this. If we do this thing of going to Bethany, going back to the place where they were looking for Jesus, we're going to die. But on the other hand, we could see Thomas may have had a a bit of courage in his devotion to Christ, while on one hand he's a pessimist and saying let's go to die with him. He is actually saying let's go and die with him. He had resolved in his mind that this is the only way uh, out for them was to go in to face a uh, certain death. The second occasion of Thomas's speaking we find in John 14 uh, verse 5. This is right before Jesus's uh, famous I am the way statement. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? This was in response to Jesus' teaching that, that they knew where he was going. And I would say in Thomas's defense, this, this passage, this account, it actually is pretty confusing. Uh, Jesus did, he had just told them moments before that where he was going, they couldn't go. And so Thomas is like, well, what is, which is it? Do we know where you're going or, or can we not go? What, what is it? Well, help, me, help me understand what's happening here. And so I think from these brief and few accounts of Thomas, we see him as a man that was serious and devoted and very practical. Thomas I was a man, he needed to know what was going on. He wanted to know what was the plan, what was the next step. He was going to be committed, but he didn't want to be left in the dark about what's going to happen. And so as we look at the sin of Thomas here, I want us to, to picture a man uh, wrestling with what the future would hold, as were the other disciples. Uh, there's a number of, of observations that can be made from, from this passage this morning, the first of which we find is that Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus had first appeared. Now I like to believe that uh, in God writing the scriptures through John God is being very efficient. Uh, and what I mean by that is not not every word here uh, holds the same meaning but but God's not wasting words here. He's not he's not doing small talk and so when when John notes that Thomas wasn't there my, my first thought was, well, perhaps John, uh, uh, Thomas had a, a legitimate reason for not being there. Maybe he was out gathering some food for the disciples. Maybe, you know, maybe he was doing something uh, that, that warranted him not being there. But again, I think John, in making note of this, is, is not necessarily asserting any, any wrongdoing in Thomas's absence. But I also don't think that he had to. When you think of the circumstances that surrounded his absence, I think it speaks to his guilt. Thomas has spent three years with the disciples and Jesus. And at this very moment, a moment of uncertainty, fear, and doubt, he decides to abandon the fellowship of God's people. Some have jokingly referenced that Thomas missed out on the Sunday evening worship that happened the week before. This is instructive for us this morning in that when we miss times of worship, times of studying God's word together, we're missing out on the presence of Jesus. Pastor Carter highlighted this for us last week, and that the worship of God's people is meant to be Christ-centered worship as he places himself in the midst of his people. So if you are struggling with doubt this morning, my question for you is, are you taking every advantage of opportunities to meet together with God's people. Or on the contrary, if you want to write a handbook for how to drift away from God, how to walk away from the faith, the best way to do it is to stop meeting with his people. To be clear, you can be in church every week and drift as well, but again, to isolate yourself from God's people is a sure way to invite doubt in your life. So as we continue to examine the sin and the life of Thomas, it's, it's, we see his resolute response to the gospel message. I, w- I want you to consider this. The disciples actually shared the gospel with Thomas, and this was his response. Unless I can see him and touch him, I will never believe. Do you hear? I mean, he has a lot of resolve in that answer. He's, you would think Thomas was... was no more than somebody that they met on the street and shared this good news with. And so for, as for Thomas, as we think about just his response and his resolve in doubting the gospel, I think there are a number of things we can look at for why he may have said this. I think for Thomas, his, his doubt and resolve were perhaps a way for him not to be disappointed again. Even though Thomas said, let us go and die with Jesus, I believe and somehow in his heart, he, he felt like, okay, Jesus is going to pull us out of this again. We've been in these crazy situations before. We're going to figure out a way to get out of this, out of this situation. And so for, perhaps for him, his doubt was a way to protect him from what he thought would be, again, another sure disappointment. Perhaps Thomas knew that they were telling the truth uh, about Christ being raised and, and meeting him. And so maybe he said this, assuming that Christ wouldn't appear a second time. Perhaps Thomas was feeling the guilt and shame of how he abandoned Christ and his fellow disciples and how he allowed his despair to get the best of him. In this way, a message that was meant to bring life to him only reminded him of his own failure. So for us, Thomas, this morning is a good example of how not to handle the problems we face in life. Ask yourself this morning, what do you do when disappointment comes your way? Are you like Thomas, prone to drifting away and becoming a Lone Ranger when times are difficult? What are the typical ways that, that you address the difficulties in your life? And we all have found unhealthy ways to address the problems that we face in life. But we must be reminded that the worst way to address these problems is to walk away from God, his word, and his people. When we do this, we cut ourselves off from life. There may be some of us, again, I've mentioned it before, it may be some of us that are showing up here weekly, drifting, doubting, but yet and still here. And so as, I, as we consider uh, Thomas this morning. I want us to see him as one in sin, but also see him as one perhaps hurting. Thomas found himself on an island, but as the Lord would have it, some, for some reason, he decided to come back. Some have argued that perhaps Thomas realized that the disciples were all that he had. I mean, in fact, he did spend three years with them, and so if you're going to be out alone, I mean, how, how are you going to fend for yourselves? And so in some In some respects, he may have just had to come back because that was all he knew. To be sure, to be clear, Thomas had no reason to doubt and every reason to believe. Jesus foretold of his death and resurrection uh, on numerous accounts. One of these we find in Mark uh, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. We find where it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And if, and if all of that wasn't clear enough, verse 32 says, and he said this plainly. So if, if Thomas forgot or just didn't believe what Jesus had told them, his own brothers that he had spent these three years with were telling them, that Christ had appeared and they saw him and he's he's back again like we're going to resume this plan the mission the mission is back on we're going to do this he he knew them they would never joke about this and so again we find Thomas being in a tough place in doubt and disbelief and resolute uh, in his position but I think this leads us to our our next theme we see here the saving mercy and grace of Jesus. That's our second theme, the theme of salvation, what we find in Jesus and his mercy and grace uh, extended to Thomas. And so what we find in verses 26 through 29, in many ways, is a, a repeat of last week's message, last week's passage. John is careful to note that it was eight days later. Now, You know, in the ESV, it says eight days later. If you're in the NIV, some other translations, it translates to a week. I don't understand the math. We're just going to say it was a week later and it was on a Sunday. And and, and suffice that to say. But we see it was another week and, and, you know, Christ is coming uh, to meet with them again. And so, again, we see that the doors were locked. Uh, In the previous passage, it was noted that they were in fear of the Jewish leaders Perhaps that fear still remained. And this is helpful for us to examine because I believe what this teaches us is that perhaps it wasn't only Thomas that had doubt. No one there could say that they weren't encouraged by Jesus appearing a second time. And this, and again, this is a reminder that doubt isn't just a one-time event. It's quite possible that there were other disciples in that room that within a week were wrestling with what they had already seen. This is the work of Satan, to attempt to steal the joy and the truth of the gospel from us. Our flesh wars against the Spirit so that we might not walk as we should. Throughout the Bible, there are those who saw God do the impossible and shortly after doubt it. I'm reminded of Israel, who saw God part the Red Sea, lead them to freedom, and only two weeks later, they thought that was a mistake, and they thought it was better that they would be back in Egypt and, and, and remain as slaves. At least in that situation, they had food. And so for them, freedom, what good is freedom if you can't eat? But they doubted that the God that parted the Red Sea would not give them something to eat. And it's, again, for us, this is a reminder that our confidence leaks. It leaks and doubt, doubt creeps in. And so we need a constant reminder of who God is, what he has done, and what he has promised to us. And So here it is again, we have Jesus speaking peace over his disciples. This is what we receive each week when we come together, when we come to the Lord's table. Jesus spiritually with us says, peace, there's no more need to worry or be deceived, for I have conquered death. So have peace in me. After Jesus provides peace and comfort to those in the house, he condescends to Thomas. What Jesus does here in in appearing to Thomas is nothing more than grace and mercy. Jesus appears for the benefit of everyone in the house, but especially that of Thomas. He didn't owe it to Thomas to appear. Again, Jesus had told his disciples of his death and resurrection multiple times again here's another account in John 14 29 there we find Jesus saying and now I have told you before I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place you may believe And so his point the whole point of him foretelling of his death and suffering was so that they would be able to hold on in the time of trouble and still Jesus is here having to appear Uh, for Thomas to remove his doubt I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't come saying to Thomas Thomas we we missed you last week man I I showed up we had a great time where were you Thomas you don't believe I I told you before you remember remember all the different times we spoke about it and so what we find here with Jesus is that he is not like us that's what we would do that's what I would do I would be in there saying, I told you so, trying to rub it in his face. (laughs) But if we are going to see Jesus this morning, I hope that the Lord would clear out our eyes to see him as full of compassion. That's the Jesus that comes to Thomas, one full of compassion. Jesus comes to Thomas with love, peace, grace, and mercy. William Hendrickson, in his commentary on John 20 highlights that the demands of Thomas were met with the commands of Jesus. I think this is amazing. There were four four contingencies by which Thomas stated that he would believe. When Christ comes, he's not meeting the demands of Thomas, but yet issuing his own commands to Thomas. Jesus gave Thomas commands of grace and mercy, and these commands led to faith. These are the same commands that Christ gives for us today. You see that in in Acts uh, chapter 17, verses 30 through 31, where Paul is, is speaking there, and he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead just let that soak in this morning that God in his richness of mercy and grace actually commands you to live he he commands you to come and be a recipient of his love like that's it's it's different than just offering it like he's he's no I'm making it mandatory for you to come and enjoy me When we disobey God, we're not disobeying a cruel judge and mean and unloving God. Jesus Jesus stood in the midst of his disciples, commanding Thomas to believe. It was his kindness that led Thomas to repentance. This is what we find in Romans uh, chapter 2, verse 45, where it says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that god's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance jesus is is kindness and compassion personified this is how he reintroduces himself to thomas jesus met thomas where he was but called him to faith and repentance he tells thomas not to not to disbelieve but believe essentially he's telling thomas no longer be defined by your pessimism and lack of faith. We nicknamed him Doubting Thomas, but Jesus, cha- Jesus came to change his name. From now on, you will be remembered as faithful, Thomas, because you have seen me. And Thomas responds, in the only way you can respond after seeing Jesus truthfully, he responds by saying, my Lord and my God. Don't miss the, the significance of this. By seeing Jesus... Thomas was able to verify, not, not just that he was alive, but that Jesus was God. And borrowing a, a, quote, a quote from Nick Baxter in his sermon on Thomas, he says, Thomas touched the physical Jesus, but saw God. By touching the physical, Thomas was able to declare eternal truth. Thomas saw Jesus for who he really was, God bearing the sins of the world and overcoming him. Jesus stood as a, a warrior, battle-tested with the scars of what it meant to walk through and face sin head-on. And he's standing there before Thomas saying, look, I did it. Believe. No, no more room for doubt. I believe. Here I am. Put your hands in my side. Put your hands. See, see the nail prints. Jesus had truly overcome sin and death. Consider the fact that Jesus actually preserved and reserved his healed wounds and scars for Thomas. Thomas was able to worship Jesus as God. And this is what John was, was, this is the point of the book. This is what John was pointing to all along, that we would come and worship God, that we would know who God is, that Jesus would come and reveal to us who God is. I like John chapter 1, verse 18. Where it says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who Himself is, who, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. This is what Jesus came to do to make God known. What's, what's interesting there is that the, the Greek word there where it talks about has made him known is actually where we get the word exegete or, or exegesis so we can accurately say jesus exegetes god i don't know and maybe that doesn't mean a lot to you this morning but for me that's a lot like i just just understanding exegesis and and studying the text to, to really understand that jesus is explaining to us who god is he's revealing unfolding who god is so that when we see him we see god there's no there's no difference there's no there's no like he's a carbon copy or there's a slight drop off like this is this is the same this is the imprint if god was to to come down to earth as a man this is what he would yeah yeah it's just just amazing praise god praise god and so jesus as he's addressing thomas here he he commands thomas to believe he tells uh in some translations, they they translate it as a statement and in esv it's a question I uh, have you believed because you have seen me. And then he says, blessed will be those that will believe by having not seen me. Again, I, I think lest we think Thomas was saved by some means that is, un, is unique to only him. Yes, Thomas saw Jesus, but he was made alive to see Jesus. So as we stated before, seeing is believing, as we have stated earlier. Our problem is, is that we can't actually rely all the time on what we see. But for Thomas, what he saw was the risen Lord. Jesus wasn't a hologram. There was no deep fake. There was no conspiracy, just Jesus. And so in this sense, seeing is believing for us when we see through the eyes of faith. We see Jesus as, as he really is, as our Lord and Savior. And so the Bible is clear, the dead don't see. If you look in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead people don't see, and and contrary to the TV show, the dead people don't walk either. (laughs) Unless Thomas was made alive spiritually, he could have seen and touched Jesus all day long, and that would not have led to faith. We know this because other people saw Jesus, and that didn't lead to faith. If you read Matthew chapter 28, you'll find that the guards went and told the chief priest what had happened. They saw the angel. They saw the angel roll the stone back. Now, after that, they passed out, but they went and told told the chief priest everything that happened. And so, essentially, they, they went and told the chief priest, he's gone. And I don't think he, it wasn't a magic trick, like what he actually said would happen probably happened. And so word was spreading a great deal that Jesus was, was alive. He was out. He was appearing. He was, he was meeting with people. You read the gospel accounts, you find numerous accounts of Jesus meeting with people. In Acts uh, chapter 1 verse 3, it says that he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, Uh, 15 it says that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time and so many people saw Jesus but not everyone saw Jesus in the way that Thomas did and so the point is unless the Lord grants you the eyes of faith your every doubt can be proved wrong and you still wouldn't turn to him your doubt and skepticism are really only opportunities for God to reveal himself to you it's the context for, for revelation, not your greatest need. Which was more critical for Thomas's faith? Was it him seeing Jesus or was it Jesus commanding him to believe? Ephesians 2.8 tells us that the power and the ability to believe or to have faith comes from God. So like Peter declaring that Jesus was the son of God, we can rightly say to Thomas, flesh and blood, didn't reveal that to you, that Jesus was your Lord and your God. That was birth from the Spirit. And so as we close, we see John writing about the purpose of this book. In this, I believe we find the sufficiency of the gospel. That's our third and final theme this morning, the sufficiency of the gospel. I I love when the Bible, I mean, the Bible is always clear, but there are certain moments when it's just, like just crystal clear. It just gets just right to the point. I like how Tom, uh, John addresses the purpose in his book when he says, the purpose of me writing this is so that you would have faith and that this faith would lead to life. The way in which we get that life is, is through faith in Christ. I think it's interesting to consider and remember that what we have in scripture, especially pertaining to Jesus, isn't all that Jesus did in, in, in his life and ministry. Again, at the end of the book, John states that the world couldn't contain the books that would need to be written if we accounted for all that Jesus did. The book of John isn't a, a biography of Jesus. These aren't just facts about what Jesus did and who he talked to and miracles and things of that nature. No, what, what John is saying here is that he is taking great thought to curate these accounts of Jesus so that you would believe. If we allow uh, Scripture to interpret Scripture, we, we, we would know that uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. So in fact, it's not only John that's curating the story of Jesus, but it's God through John. God is essentially putting together what we have in the book of John, Jesus' greatest hits, we have Jesus' greatest statements, his greatest miracles, all packaged together in the book, meant for you to believe. And as you think about the book of John, doesn't it read that way? Like, it's, it's impossible to walk away from the book of John, especially when he writes in the purpose for which he wrote it. It'd be different if he did put it in there, but he put in there at the end, hey, by the way, this is why I wrote it, so that you would believe it's impossible to read the book of John and walk away from that book not answering the question of do you believe? The, I mean the book is just aiming chapter after chapter, page after page at this is who Jesus is this is meant for you to believe him. And so again, Jesus' words call out to us this morning in the same way as they call out to Thomas don't disbelieve but believe. So what John uh, is saying here in closing is that essentially don't let's let's not get this twisted. Jesus is not about to go on on an appearance tour, you know, and doing show and tell everyone for somebody to come up and touch him and feel and feel the prints and all that. No, that's that's not what's about to take place here. This account was written for you to believe. Uh, And in this sense, we we see that the scriptures are sufficient this this is sufficient for us to believe so without saying that he's saying actually you actually don't need to see jesus and touch him the reason we know that is because jesus said a few verses earlier there are going to be people that are going to believe in me that have never seen me and so what we should take away from this passage is that jesus is not afraid of your doubt and skepticism Jesus steps in the midst of your doubt and skepticism and and commands us to see him with the eyes of faith and to touch him. And so what does it take? What would it take for you to believe? Bring it to God. He's big enough to handle your skepticism and your doubt. He's able to overcome your fear, your doubt, your shame, your sin, whatever that's keeping you from him. Bring it to him. Don't, don't be defiant in your doubt, but truly come to him humbly like the man we find in Mark chapter 9, where it says, immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Let's pray.